So the reason this podcast exists, yeah. not like the podcast as a whole, but this specific this episode, this specific episode is because I was at, I was at brunch, hashtag girl boss. <laughs> I was at brunch with my, uh, with my sister, my mom, my aunt, my grandma, mm-hmm. and my grandma was wearing this beautiful like blazer. Mm-hmm. And my sister, Olivia, she's 15, turns to my grandma and says, oh my God, Nani, that blazer is so girl boss. And I was like, what do you mean? It's so girl boss, Olivia. Like, that's so rude. And yeah. Olivia's like, what do you mean? Girl boss is a term of endearment. Like, she didn't say a term of endearment. She said, like, girl boss is a compliment. Like, it's yeah, something yeah. I, I use it to tell my friends that, like, they're doing a good job. They're yeah. killing it. Like, it's empowering. It's, mm-hmm. a, it's a compliment. I was like, it is so not a compliment. Yeah. It, to me, girl boss screams white feminism. Hi, I'm Maddie. Hi, I'm Gigi. And this is So True, Bestie, a podcast about the culture of modern young womanhood and whatever else happens to be on our minds. Today, we're diving into the phenomenon of the girl boss. If you've been on Twitter or TikTok or just the internet in general in the past year or so, you've probably heard the word thrown around a lot. Likely along with the words gaslight and gatekeep, but those are topics for another time. The girl boss is everywhere these days, from politics to the wellness industry. From Netflix shows to Instagram infographics. But what really makes a girl boss? Where did this concept come from? What does she have to do with the 1980s? And what can she tell us about where feminism has been and where it has yet to go? All this and more today on So True Bestie. To me, girl boss screams white feminism. It's yeah. somebody who is, as you said, is inserting themselves into systems that are designed for men and doing nothing to advance the self-interest of other women or other marginalized groups, but instead is using that power to better themselves um, while creating a facade that anyone can do this if you just yeah. try uh-huh, hard uh-huh. enough if you it's it's the myth of the meritocracy it's, yeah it's the same thing it's like if you just work hard enough if you just like work your little pretty ass yeah like, pull hard yourself enough, up by your bootstraps literally if yeah. you just except it's not bootstraps it's, it's like your, your chanel purse yes by your pumps <laughs> if you yeah if you just step up by your louboutins yes. then like everything will be fine <laughs> i think it's also simplistic in that it's sort of reducing feminism to like women should aspire to emulate men in mm-hmm. their in their quest yes. for liberation and it's not just women should be allowed to do whatever they want and we you know like within reason right like women should be allowed to <laughs> women should be like, allowed to murder people <laughs> with impunity yeah I, that's the real feminist agenda no but I, I think that as a society we feel like you know the only way for like feminism to be legitimate is if it is emulating like male power structures yeah. and we know that those male power structures are inadequate and have you know led to the systems of um oppression and inequality that we see today there's this Atlantic piece by Amanda Mole, and she sums up this sort of feeling, I think, well. Mm-hmm. She says, quote, Slotting mostly white women into the power structures usually occupied by men does not de facto change workplaces, mm-hmm. let alone yeah. change the world for the better if the structures themselves yes. go untouched. Yes, 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 yes. Okay, let's look at some some definitions of some some existing definitions of of girl boss. Okay. 
I go to the Wikipedia page. Okay, the Wikipedia page. As one does. Yes, yes, yes. So, girl boss is this cool thing called a a neologism, which is a word that is in the process of entering common language. Oh, interesting. It's just a fancy way to say it's not in the dictionary. Okay, you're a linguistics nerd. (laughs) I am a linguistics nerd. Neologism comes from Greek. This is so nerdy. I love this. Okay, okay. Um, It means neo is new, logos Mm -hmm. is speech, Mm -hmm. so it literally means new speech. Yes. All that is to say, when I went to Merriam-Webster and I typed in girl boss... It did not Nothing appear. came up. So I went to the next place. Urban Dictionary. Yeah. There were like seven definitions, and I picked three that I mm-hmm. think sort of define the mm-hmm. contours of this discussion. So the first one says, quote, girl boss, verb, to make something or someone appear as a feminist idol or inspiration for profit, despite the numerous flaws of the person, end quote. Second similar is quote a person who co-ops popular feminist girl power rhetoric as a way to virtue signal to other neoliberals and shield themselves from criticism okay end quote okay and then this last one quote a woman in control taking charge of her own circumstances in work and in life someone who knows her worth and won't accept anything less she's not a mean girl in fact she hates mean girls she is empowering and inspiring to those around her she kicks ass exclamation point <laughs> end quote okay so i i think that i guess if we follow like the trajectory of girl boss so far i feel like yeah. it started with this last definition about, you know, she is, um, she's a boss, she's taking charge, you know, she kicks ass, she has it all. And then, you know, pretty recently, I guess, like, on Twitter and on TikTok, it's sort of, like, taken on this new meaning where it's criticizing, um, like, you know, that, that original take on feminism. All right, Maddie, tell me about the history of the girl boss. Okay, so... The word girl boss was coined by Sophia Amoruso in 2014 in her memoir of the same title, hashtag girl boss. Oh my gosh. All caps. <laughs> if you look up the cover on Google, it's like very classic mm-hmm. 2014 power stand. She's in a black yeah. dress, you know. And she was this struggling college dropout and she founded this eBay shop nasty gal in San Francisco to pay her bills by reselling vintage clothes and mm-hmm. jackets and all of that stuff. And so this business called Nasty Gal exploded into a multi-million dollar business. Wow. She's like this self-made woman and all of that jazz. As it says in the description for her 2014 memoir, it says Sophia was never a typical CEO. She wasn't, she wasn't like other girls. <laughs> no, she was not. She was not a typical anything. And she wrote Girl Boss for other girls like her. Outsiders and insiders seeking a unique path to success, even when that path is windy as all hell and lined with naysayers. And then Nasty Gal filed for bankruptcy oh my in gosh. 2016. Oh my gosh. She then sold it for $20 million. So her memoir, Hashtag Girl Boss, yeah. um, was adapted into a Netflix series of the same name. So what exactly is your business? You know how people flip houses? Well, I flip clothes. Boom! Dollar dollar bills, y'all! I watched the show when it came out on Netflix, and as soon as they started talking about the, like, mean boss who like got her period we were like this is written by a man and we turned it off yeah the tv show was canceled after one season then 
mm-hmm. and Maruso founded Girlboss, a media company, girlboss.com. And, like, if you're looking at their website, which the listeners, you guys should go look at girlboss.com. Yes. It's, like, very pastel infographic culture. Oh, yes, with, yes, like, yes. It's, like, the Instagram infographic. It is. Industrial complex. Their Instagram is at girlboss. Yes. Oh, okay, yeah. And they are the infographic industrial yes. complex. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Like, okay, right? this is interesting. I didn't know that all of this was yes. sort of, like, the same the same person who's behind all of this. What's her name? Sophia Amoruso. Sophia Amoruso. She's really, like, I guess really spearheaded the girl boss brand yes. or, like, the franchise. Yes. Yeah. What I think is interesting about this is that in a lot of in a lot of like cultural phenomena it's like difficult to pinpoint one person or like one event that kind of like sparked the you know the beginning Mm -hmm. um whereas in this case there's like really one woman yeah who like sort of you know brought this word into the mainstream yes and has continued to keep it in the mainstream since then the foundation or like the root of the girl boss um, trope, I guess, sort of comes from the 1980s and this image of like the working woman. You know, like 1970s, 1980s, sort of at the tail end of of second wave feminism, um, we have things like the ERA. Tumble out of bed and I stumble to the kitchen, pour myself a cup of ambition and yawn and stretch and try to come to life. In the shower and the blood starts pumping Out on the streets the traffic starts jumping With folks like me on the job from nine to five Working nine to five What a way to make a living getting So women entering the workforce and mass for really the first time And there's this sort of cultural tension between um, women's place like in the domestic sphere and then women's place like in in the workplace yeah. um, and like you know how do how do women balance like the profession their professional lives and their their lives um, at home as mothers and as caretakers yes. and so this reminded me of this incredible play called Top Girls by Carol Churchill which was written in the 1980s and it takes place in 1980s Britain Basically, the tension in the play is between these two women who are sisters, Joyce and Marlene. And Marlene is, she is a girl boss. She's a working woman. She has like her shoulder pads. She's um, working at this employment agency called Top Girls Employment Agency. And she's sort of like working her way up the ranks. Her sister Joyce is um, living in the suburbs. She's a single mom. Um, She's also taking care of their aging mother. And she's also um, a cleaning lady. So her life really revolves around the domestic sphere, taking care of her kid, taking care of her um, aging mother. Joyce's kid, it turns out to actually be Marlene's kid. And Joyce is taking care of the kids so that Marlene can go and like live her life um, as like this, as as a top girl, as a a girl boss. So the 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 unseen labor of care. Truly, truly. Mm -hmm. No, the the crisis is like what happens when like wealthy white women go into the workforce and who is picking up the slack. The play takes place in... 1980s Great Britain, Margaret Thatcher, of course, comes up in Obviously. the play. Um, and so I think she is sort of an interesting figure as like a precursor to the modern girl boss as we know her today because she was the first woman prime minister. Yeah. Um, and she, there's this incredible 
crazy bit in the in the play where Marlene, who is the working woman working at the employment agency, she says, you know, isn't it so great that we have a woman prime minister, first woman prime minister? And then Joyce, who's her sister, says, you know, you would have liked Hitler if he, if he were a woman, um, <laughs> which is like is just such an incredible exchange because it, it shows how. Um, Margaret Thatcher was sort of like using the guise of like femininity to sort of like climb the ranks of yeah. politics yeah. and she gets to the top and she doesn't actually do anything to sort of you know advance the liberation of women yeah I mean like the clear analog to this in the US is Phyllis Schlafly yes, yes and yes. Schlafly I think it's Schlafly Phyllis Schlafly okay the clear so. analog to this <laughs> the clear analog to this in the US is Phyllis Schlafly and um, she's the woman who was so adamantly against the ERA yeah. in the 80s yeah isn't part of this sort of new right movement. You can read a lot about her in Susan Faludi's book called Backlash, sort of about the new right movement and... And if you don't want to read, you can also watch the uh, the Hulu limited series, uh, Mrs. America, featuring an incredible Kate Blanchett as Phyllis Schlafly. I am not against women. I am not against women working outside the home. But what I am against is the women's liberation movement. Okay, anyways, so Phyllis Schlafly, one of the earliest and most well-known examples of this, what Susan Faludi calls the new right women, mm-hmm. somebody who was really into anti-feminist politics yeah. and basically using their public platforms yeah. to say that women belonged in the home. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. an example, Schlafly was a Harvard-educated Yes. Lawyer, literally going to law school, studying constitutional yeah. law so that she could fight the ERA. Yeah, and so she would stand up in a public platform with her Harvard degree saying that the ERA would take away the rights of women to be a full-time wife and mother. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Um, so just the hypocrisy is so blatant. Yeah, she is like inserting herself into the boys club that, you know, is and was Washington politics. You know, she's doing the exact thing that she claims to be, you know, protecting the American woman from, where she's, yes. she is leaving, um, you know, like her children in the care of other people. Starting with Sophia Amoruso, like the originator of this mm-hmm. term, and with the women in the 80s, mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. they're all white. Yes, yes, yes. They're, they're all yes, white yes. and they're all make, they're all conventionally attractive. Yeah, yeah. And bl- mostly like skinny, blondes, yeah. skinny blondes. Yeah. And heterosexual, het- yeah. Yeah, definitely heterosexual, definitely white usually with some kind of family money or like yes, yes. pedigree some kind of social capital that gets you to where you are mm-hmm, mm-hmm. there's a Faludi quote that I love um, not to harp on everyone reading Backlash but everyone should <laughs> read at least part of it um, she says by divorcing their personal liberation she's talking about the new right women the shelf yeah. of the world um, by divorcing their personal liberation from their public stands on sexual politics they could privately take advantage of feminism while publicly deploring mm-hmm, its influence mm-hmm. they could indeed have it all by working to prevent other women from having the yes. same opportunity mm-hmm. so it's really like instead of you know you're going to have a seat at the table and then you're mm-hmm. like burning down the table to create new structures that will include more people yeah um they're really like taking a seat at the table and then locking the door to other women and using that power not to like be a double agent or something Mm -hmm, or mm -hmm. help women like do something to actually change the systems that cause that cause these issues instead they're saying like yeah i'm gonna benefit from this i'm gonna do whatever i want yeah (laughs) 
you know who is a girl boss? Who is a girl boss? Kirsten Cinema. Oh, definitely. Kirsten Cinema is a girl definitely. boss. And what's fascinating to me about her is that the way that she is like conducting herself in office is so opposite from the way that she kind of has like branded herself. Like, yeah. So other thing about Kirsten Cinema is she's one of the first openly bisexual mm-hmm. senators mm-hmm. and congresspeople. Yeah. Um, and so she came in with this sort of like progressive. I'm gonna call it progressive possibility mandate. She has funky colored like hair yes. and um, wigs. Yes, wigs does you know wears like these really bold like floral and like geometric prints like you yeah. know not sort of the 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 clean tailored like blazer and pencil skirt that we see or even like you know slacks that we see from a lot of other female politicians. Yeah. So there was that vote on the minimum wage. Yes. Um. This. Spring, yes. And Kirsten Cinema famously came mm-hmm. to the House floor and did a little curtsy and then a thumbs down yes. to vote against a fifteen dollar minimum very, wage, like in a very flippant way. That yes. was just like this is like just sort of like not giving the vote yes. like the the seriousness that, that it, it deserves. deserves. Critically important vote that mm-hmm. was not only critically important to the millions of people who would have had a boost in their wages yeah. during a pandemic, but also something critically important to Joe Biden's agenda. Yes, yes. Um, and something that he ran on and something that a lot of Democrats ran on saying, like, yeah. we will materially improve yeah, yeah, conditions yeah. in this country. And so when people started criticizing her, I think, as she deserved for mm-hmm. that move, mm-hmm. her press team said, oh my god, your criticism is so sexist. Yeah, you, can't cri- yeah. you can't critique her. And I think that that's something that Girlboss does really well, yes. is, is shielding women from the kind of criticism that they deserve, Yeah, and then just using sexism as yeah, a shield yeah. like, like a blanket as sort a of blanket. Like catch-all yeah. yeah that's what girl boss is yes, to me and yes. it's not a compliment <laughs> what if paltrow <laughs> to me that woman screams girl boss. Yes, yes. Um, so her company Goop is a wellness company known for selling things such as jade vagina eggs, <laughs> um, candles that smell like uh, orgasms. Oh my god, okay. So, so I have so many questions. So Goop is notoriously expensive. Yes. Like, it's ridiculously yes, expensive. Yes, I saw an article the other day, like a Goop thing, that was like, Women, if you want to relax and you can't afford to install a $5,000 sauna in your oh own home, Lord. you can just get this $700 treatment done at this one spa in oh LA. Oh my god. And I was talking to my mom about it. I was like, does she know how this looks? And my mom was like, yeah, she does. She's like, look up look up what she said about her business. So here's what Gwyneth has said about her business. She said to um, a group of Harvard Business School students, of course, she said, of course. it's crucial to me that Goop remains aspirational. The things that we are making, the creams, the oils, the clothing, couldn't be made cheaply. Our stuff is beautiful. The ingredients are beautiful. You can't get that at a lower price point. You can't make these things mass market. Mm. Yeah, just the idea of girl bossery is aspirational. Yes, that's fascinating. Like like an unattainable, yeah, an unattainable like ideal. I don't know, like, a woman's version of, like, the American dream, kind of. Oh, yes. Where, or or it's, like, the, like, an American dream for, like, the 21st century woman, almost. Um, where it's, like, previously the American dream was, you know, like, like, you know, 2.5 kids, white picket fence, all that jazz, and now it's 2.5 kids, white picket fence, 
also being the CEO of your own company and, you know, being able to um, afford like jade vagina eggs or whatever the fuck. Like. <laughs> it's like when we say women can have it all, exactly. like that whole stereotype. Yeah. As we've seen, women can't have it all without a lot of money and domestic health and somebody doing the unseen labor yes yes and i mean yeah it goes back to the tension between like the professional and the the domestic domestic. yeah it's just the idea that it's aspirational that anybody can make it if you just try hard enough which Mm -hmm, really mm -hmm. is the ethos behind like sofia and mariso's girlboss.com like yeah anyone can make it if you just follow these values and like fill out your resume a certain way (laughs) which just isn't realistic and it's this new also like pr- productivity culture yes. too of like like grind culture. Yes, yeah. expecting people to have like 15 side hustles and if yeah. you're not working hard enough, yeah. like you don't deserve to be yes. a girl boss. Yeah. So since the girl boss and the workplace are so sort of like closely interconnected. I I guess I'm curious to find out like what the future of this trope looks like. Um I guess like 5 or 10 years down the line since during the pandemic so many women have been dropping out of the workforce. Yes. Um and are like, you know, leaving corporations and jobs and businesses and it's really like transforming sort of like the gender makeup of of corporate Oof. America. The Lily at the Washington Post has some wonderful coverage of the yeah. pandemic and specifically the toll that it's taken on working mothers yeah. whose kids are now out of school with right. daycare centers completely closed due to the pandemic and having to take on this unpaid domestic labor yeah. while also being expected to put in the yes. same number or yes. more hours because we're all supposed to be magically available all the right. time when we're working from home. I, and I mean, I, I really think that it shows like the failing of... The girl boss, right? Because yeah. like if if we had really made some sort of um, you know, like measurable progress in terms of, you know, like working women, you know, and just like yeah. feminism in general, had that happened and the pandemic hit, I think it there would have been like, you know, support systems in place to help wor- working mothers stay in the workforce. Like universal daycare, yeah. universal mm-hmm, pre-K mm-hmm. or child care system that like was equitable, paid maternity leave or paid yeah. paternity leave and all these things that the U.S. doesn't have mm-hmm. to help women. And it just sort of like exposes how fragile the whole the whole system is. I mean, I'm going to turn to a Susan Faludi quote. Of course, of course. Because I love her. Yeah. But she says, an accurate charting of American women's progress through history might look more like a corkscrew tilted slightly to one side. Its loops inching closer and closer to the line of freedom with the passage of time, but like a mathematical curve approaching infinity, never touching its goal. Stay tuned for Gaslighting Gatekeep, um, because we will... <laughs> because what is Girl Boss without her sisters? Yeah. They're like the... What's it? What's the three fates? The three fates. Yes, the three fates. I couldn't remember how many fates there were, so I was they're like... They're coming to cut your string. They're coming. Watch out. <laughs> okay, well, Maddie, this has been 
an incredible time. This has been a joy. This has been a true, a true joy as always. Thank you so much for all of your wonderful insights. Um, I think we have a lot to learn about podcasting, but if you stick around, it can only go up from here. I mean, it could go down. It could go. Okay, yeah, that's true. But it can only go up from here. (laughs) Thank you so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Um, If you did, you should tweet at us. If you didn't, you should also tweet at us. Yes, just tweet at us. At SoTrueBestie1 on Twitter.com. Yep. Bye, friends. Thank you. We need it. We need an outro. All right, we're ending. No, we're ending. No, we need an outro. We need an outro. And that's we don't we say. And that's it for So True. That's and that's it for our first episode of So True Bestie. No, no, you say and that's it for today's podcast. And I'm like So True Bestie. No, that's I know. I like it. I like it. I like it. Okay. And that's it for the inaugural episode of this podcast. So True Bestie.